welcome to Drive Digital Success, your behind-the-scenes podcast about Formula One and the technology driving it. Presented by Chris Medland and Mandy Carter. Powered by IONOS, first-class cloud and IT infrastructure. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the IONOS Drive Digital Success podcast with me, Chris Medland. And me, Mandy Carter. And today, our guest is a name you may well have heard before as we chat with Haas F1 driver Mick Schumacher about driving something other than an actual F1 car. Mick, thank you very much for joining us and giving up your time. We're going to talk about one of the tools that is really important to you as a Formula One driver in terms of the simulator. Now, for anyone who's an F1 fan or maybe not an F1 fan, they might not know exactly what we mean by a simulator. Can you describe it as when you look at it? It's a bit more than just a gaming chair at home, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is a bit more complex and I think far more expensive than people actually know. So yeah, no, there's a lot of time, a lot of development put into those things to make it as accurate as possible. And obviously we as drivers still feel the difference. And I think that some people that are actually not driving themselves, they will not feel a difference just because obviously we're kind of so perfectionized on, on that real thing that for us, we still don't feel too comfortable. But I think that over the last few years, at least the last few years that I've been driving, I really saw big development and I think that there's more to come. What's the big difference, uh, again, for a fan's perspective, really, between you know, playing a racing game on their computer with their own steering wheel and, and an actual simulator? Like, how far apart are they? They're quite far apart. I think they have also very different purposes. Obviously, you know, a gaming chair is mainly just, as it says, a game to have fun and enjoy and maybe race a bit against other people. And uh, a simulator is really a working tool, really try and learn something from it. And and obviously some teams really use it for preparing the FP1s, FP2s, and and kind of at the same time that the real car is driving on track, they'll have the simulator driving back in the factory with the simulator drivers to just correlate and, and try to help the real team then, or like the team on track, help them make the right decisions and in that that way just you know improve the whole scenario and time frame and because i've used the term gaming chair a couple of times there but for a simulator you're sat in pretty much like part of a chassis aren't you it's an actual proper kind of looks like part of a cutaway of a car that you sit in yeah correct so it is half a chassis and usually it's a real chassis obviously to make it as accurate as possible uh, it has a carbon seat in it obviously most of the Drivers will have to fit in it, so they try and put the same one or the biggest one in there and then just fill it with some padding. But the position's pretty much accurate in terms of also pedals. Steering is identical. Obviously, the only thing now is is that you don't have the feeling that you're actually on track. So you still know that you sit in a simulator and you know that whenever I try to push into a corner harder and just spin off, it won't have an effect. Whilst that's something in real life where you will kind of gradually build it up while it's in a simulator you can go out and spin 20 times and nobody will know yeah i mean i imagine if a gamer got into one they'd they'd probably be doing a lot of spinning but how hard do you think a a normal person would find it just to get into a simulator because i imagine they'd feel braver trying the simulator than they would the real car yeah i think there's not this fear of hurting themselves you know they they just go into the sim and they know that it'll be fine and Obviously, you still have to be careful because it is machinery that I think can develop up to 1.5 Gs or something. So there is forces in there which you will feel and which you will notice. And a lot of people actually get sick if they don't know. I think that people in our or my age now, they'll most likely be okay with it because they have been you know, playing video games and stuff where obviously the reaction time of what you do is always a bit behind. So your brain kind of really adapts to that a bit quicker while some older drivers 
they'll uh, struggle a bit more. Yeah, I've actually had to go in a simulator before. I felt sick. (laughs) And that wasn't an F1 car, so I would have been terrible in a Formula 1 car. But (laughs) for that, I was just doing it and I sat in my normal clothes and and got to sit in a racing seat and have a go. Do you put on all the gear when you have to do it? How much equipment do you have to kind of use when you're in the simulator as well? So different teams will take different approaches to it. I think that nowadays it's pretty common for us just to go in shorts and and t-shirt because it gets really warm. We do sweat in it. it uh, you know, there's no air or anything. There's a fan, but still, you don't want to be in a full equipment sitting there and boiling and basically having to jump out every now and then. So therefore, you can just stay inside and do the work that you need to. But do you still wear a helmet? Do you wear a racing gloves, those sorts of things? So yeah, you will wear gloves, you will wear a helmet, you will wear a racing shoes just to keep those points, which are obviously in contact with the car, the most realistic. Now, we're going to be talking about F1 simulators a lot in this, but for any driver, really, it seems very difficult to be able to practice motorsport in terms of in real life, even if we're talking at lower levels. So how crucial at all is a simulator for for starters in terms of just giving you practice time? I think it is helpful, especially if it's a track that you haven't driven on. Obviously, by now, I have the feeling that I drove on most tracks. So it definitely helped me along the way this year. But I think overall, it's also just a good way of bringing you back into the mood of you know going to that racetrack, having the right philosophy when you get there and not having to like search too much in FP in FP1 because obviously FP1 is quite crucial as well. It's, you know, it's you have one hour, you have to get everything in it and then you only have two hours left. It gets really quickly and uh, you have to have everything on point as soon as possible. And obviously you've come through your junior career and been massively successful to reach F1, but were simulators a big part of your junior career as well? At what level do you first really start using simulators? So we started using simulators from F4, really. So Prima had their own sim, which uh, I was very lucky that I could use that and, and, you know, do all my practice sessions, I'd say, that I needed to there, get to another tracks. And obviously as I progressed through the ladder, the simulator was always a part of, of it. And, uh, you know, with Prima, it was a fixed schedule when you had to be there and how much time you had to spend in the sim. And it definitely helped a lot in, in many ways. And um, I still do it now. And how different is a simulator for an F4 car compared to, say, an F1 car? Can you use the same simulator and just program it differently? Or do you have to have specific simulators for each car? No, I mean, in, at the end, you could use the one you have at home as a simulator. But it's obviously, it just depends on what you want from the sim. Do you want something which is static? Do you feel more comfortable when it's static? Or do you want something which moves around and you you have a bit of queuing and stuff? And that's just obviously driver preference. And normally the, the F1 sims all have a big movement range. That case can give you the right amount of Gs that you want. Maybe not the correct ones, which you would have on track, but you would still have, as said, this 1.5 to 2 Gs, whilst maybe the one, you know, a smaller one will just create half a G. You know, so it's really depending on the space available and the budget you have. And did it feel like a training tool for you with them in your junior career? Was it time you spent trying to develop your skills as much as anything else? Well, luckily in the junior categories, you still had the chance to go on track and drive. So it was mainly a preparation for the race weekend, just to see the track, just to kind of have an idea of the reference points more than really trying to do the first free practice on it. Again, then went into Formula 2, testing became more reduced. So yeah, then the simulator became more of a tool that you had to use to also prepare some of the points and could do some setup changes. And then yeah, in F1, obviously that took a whole new level. 
Yeah, there's very little time for you to practice. I mean, we're coming to the end of your rookie season in Formula One and you had one and a half days of testing before you could actually go to your first race. So did you actually drive the F1 car in the simulator long before you actually drove the real thing? Not long before. I mean, I, I did the test in Bahrain uh, 2019 with Ferrari and I did the simulator session before that. I think that was my first simulator session in an F1 car. And yeah, obviously then through 2019, I've done it here and there. But obviously my focus was mainly on Formula 2, trying to win that and make sure that I did. And I didn't want to have any confusion in, let's say, reference points or so. So I really tried to just focus on that. And then, yeah, once I moved up into, into Formula 1, definitely things have become a bit more, let's say, more days spent in a simulator. So Mandy, is there a similarity in the world of IONOS to how an F1 simulator is used? I guess it's a bit like R&D. Do you test advancements in technology in specific areas like a simulation would and before introducing it in the real world? I mean, we test every new product thoroughly before it's rolled out to customers. Typically, we use separate test systems, basically networks that aren't connected to the live production systems. And that's to ensure we don't endanger any live services for our customers or for ourselves, really. In software dev, the workflow has changed from doing things sequentially to working with an agile model. In agile, a software project is divided into sprints, which is sort of chunks of work, and divided amongst the team to each do their bit. And then after each sprint is complete, the results are then evaluated in the next sprint planned. Before you even start a project, you should define what we call a minimum viable product or MVP, which is probably quite different from what MVP means in Formula <laughs> One. Uh, but for us, that MVP means the minimum working solution acceptable to roll out to early customers who can then provide feedback for additional refinements on that same product. Of course, we go through stringent quality assurance beforehand, but after an MVP is ready, work continues to improve the product from sprint to sprint until it has all the features required, really. To put this in Formula One terms, it would kind of be like giving Mick a car with four wheels a steering wheel that can go and then constantly improving from there but probably not a strategy that the Haas team would want to try out. I don't know. It's a, it's a different approach. It would be interesting to see. But uh, it, it seems like you've just read my notes as well, because there was a point there where Mick says, as a driver, you wouldn't need to look at data to improve because we're trained in our feelings to get the right feedback. You mentioned it a bit there, but how important is it to make sure that the human element is incorporated into data gathering and improvement? Well, before you can even begin to collect the data itself, you need to understand which data is important and how it will be used. That's where we definitely need a human brain. When you collect data, you always need to decide what you need it for. And that's just not a decision a machine can make. Even if Mick doesn't need data for driving, his engineers and Gunter need it to make improvements to the car and to brief Mick later before the next race. For this, the computer engineer needs to align closely with the pit crew. And it has to be done well in advance of the race because basically, you know, at race point, they moved on to real-time data. Human involvement in basically in the preparation phase of a data gathering project is so important. Basically, if you make a mistake at that point and select the wrong data set, you may be gathering that doesn't actually mean anything or, or go anywhere or improve anything, which can put the entire project at risk. Mick, do you ever then use it almost retrospectively? Do you ever get to the end of a race weekend and think, oh, I wish I could improve this part of my driving or that part of my driving and go to the simulator and try and do it? Well, I would rather do it on track then. So I'd, you know, I'd rather spend the time on track and do it there. The simulator obviously is not 100% accurate at times and you just want to have the real feeling. And you know, if you have a feeling like, okay, I did this wrong and I want to improve that, I will not go back to the simulator and try there just because it will not give the same sensations and it will have different limitations. So then what are the main things you do use it for? Well, mainly for me personally, I use it to go and drive the track that I will be racing on. 
just so that I have an idea of how it's going to look, where are the reference points, what are the gears. Some drivers do it visually, some other drivers do it by feeling, and I'm more of yeah, feeling where, okay, I downshifted for that corner three times and, I'll, and then I'll do it as a rhythm and keep doing that. And to get that rhythm, I do enjoy going to the simulator to have that already, let's say, programmed before I actually drive out the first time. And, and you mentioned the simulator drivers as well, specific ones. So is their role very different to yours when they're in the simulator? I guess for them, it's really just about being consistent because if they're like, you know, we always try and adapt to points and, and try and change our driving style and maybe also cheat sometimes. There are ways of cheating in the simulator to become faster. And basically for them, it's just to drive as realistic as possible, be as consistent and have very good feedback. And obviously, yeah, maybe that's similar to what we're doing, but it's on the other hand as well completely different because I think for a driver, you wouldn't need to look at data to improve just because we're quite trained on listening to our feelings because obviously otherwise we wouldn't be able to give the right feedback. And so it's just something that you learn from go-karting and simulator drivers obviously also did that. But then as they move into simulator driving and, and becoming that, you know, as a profession, let's say, they'll have to readapt to that and then, you know, they'll do that and we do something else. And what are the team themselves then using the simulator for, I guess, when it's a simulator driver in there? What are they trying to ask them to do and trying to find out? Well, that's difficult for me to answer exactly. But I mean, from what I know, it's just about, you know, trying to, again, prepare FP1 if they haven't driven it yet. Or if they're in a race, they'll most likely before the race actually started, they will do a full race run or the night before they will drive the whole night through to try and just simulate what would happen. Obviously, the simulator's are becoming better and better. And I think we're just at the point where they're becoming really realistic. And I think that, that if we're at that point, then they can really predict on what is going to happen in terms of tire life, in terms of aerodynamics, what they should do. Obviously, they have the wind conditions, which are preset and you can change them as you want. There's loads of things that they can do. And for sure, in the future, more points come to that list let's say and is it used as well to try and make sure the car setup is right for the the start of a practice session and, and a race weekend or does the team seem to use historical data and the last time they were at a track for that more i guess it's a combination of everything really for example this year we found a trend of a setup that we really liked and really enjoyed and we've kept on using it and like obviously just fine-tuning it for for each track because obviously every track is a bit different needs different tools really and i won't put let's say the turkish setup onto my abu dhabi you know, car. So it's really about just trying to find the right measures and the right compromises, really. And I, I'm I'm sure that, you know, connected with the data, which we had last year, that will just form the right setup. Well, as Mick says, sometimes simulator drivers are working through the night to support the race team. And how crucial does that make it for Ionos to offer round-the-clock support to Haas? I mean, even on non-race days and, and in the off-season, the Haas team operates in different time zones, right? So headquarters in the US and factories in the UK and Italy. And then during the season, obviously, the operation grows to include even more countries and continents where, you know, you add in races in Asia and Australia. With this kind of global setup, it's crucial that all systems run smoothly at any given time. And even just in one location, as you said, engineers might be working on a problem late at night. There might be compute or data gathering systems that are running around the clock. Cloud isn't the kind of thing that you can turn off at the end of the day, well, without creating angry customers. But in all seriousness, a 24-7 operation is just basic standard for any cloud service. And to support that, you need to have technical experts on hand, we call them tech ops, that can fix a problem quickly. But beyond that, you also need service consultants that can help customers with kind of non-technical queries. So basically, the cloud never sleeps. So 
How easy is it to call on historical data so that it can be used alongside newly generated information like when a simulator session is taking place? Like, for example, if the team wants to call up some data stored from a race, say, a year ago while preparing for the next event, how quickly can it do that? I mean, you can access historical data in a matter of seconds. Cloud is incredibly fast. So as long as you have a somewhat stable internet connection, you will get any data right when you request it and from wherever you are. Really, the local internet speed will your limiting factor. And circling back to your earlier question about the human factor, when you design a new system, it's important to try to predict which data you might need and at which point to help design your databases in the best way for retrieval. If we're talking about really time-sensitive data, like speaking in fractions of a second, you could also distribute your data into different availability zones so that wherever you are, you can just access the closest data center, uh, which will minimize latency. Now, Mick, I know you're a competitive guy. I know you've just been competing as well even today on a day off but how competitive do you get in the simulator you said about cheating do you ever look at other simulator drivers times and you're like i want to beat that (laughs) well there's always the reference time and they'll tell you and then obviously you want to be the reference afterwards so yeah i think that's one of the things which are maybe wrong but i will do them constantly is try and beat that lap time and do it in any way possible really if it's cheating then I'll, i'll do it because it's still driven on track but it's just used in a in a way which might not be realistic does that add a, maybe a, an extra fun aspect, though, to the simulator, that you have that competitive edge? And does it need it? Because it sounds like it could be quite a tricky tool otherwise. I think it's just definitely something where us as a racing driver, yes, it, it adds fun to it. If it's the right thing to do, that's another question. But I think that overall is just you want to have fun with what you're doing. We, we love racing. And so I think if you find the fun in it and, and you can do it and it helps you for the first day of driving again, I think it's great. Now, uh, Haas 10 used the Ferrari simulator, I believe in Maranello. So you have to travel sometimes to go and use that one. Do you think it would help to, for every F1 team to have their own simulator or is it just important to have the access? You know, is it used that regularly that you need it available 24-7 or not so much? Well, I think that in Haas, it's a bit of a special case as we have Maranello-based people and we have Banbury-based people. So yeah, I think that you know, whenever I go to drive the simulator in Ferrari, I'll normally go and visit uh, everybody at Haas there just to also see the progress and see what next year's car is doing and, and development. So yeah, I think that in that case, it's a special one. It's kind of like home-based. But yeah, I would say that it's good to have a simulator and that each team has their own just because then you'll be able to do the work you know, prior and obviously the reserve driver will get to do some driving in that too. And I think it's just overall a good training for everybody. And this is some of the behind the scenes stuff that fans don't get to see. Like when, when they watch you start a race, they think all you've done is, oh, yeah, it's a three day weekend. That's all these drivers do. So how often do you go and use the simulator or do things that are kind of related to your prep for each race weekend? Well, it depends on the schedule. Let's say if we have a triple header, which is overseas, I will not try and fly back and forwards the whole time, but I will actually try and do it before the first race of the triple header and do three tracks on one day and, and basically just have an idea of what the philosophy will be like. Because anyways, I feel personally that even if I did the simulator, I will still have to relearn the track anyways. You, you will not go out there with a track that is dirty and, and do the best lap time anyways. you know, It's just about trying to find your way through, but you might just be those 10 laps earlier in, let's say, finding your comfortable spot on track. So therefore, it's really helpful, yeah. And is it something you enjoy doing? Is it fun or is it a bit of a chore? You know, it, it always adds travels to it, you know, and I think that we anyways travel so much over the year that it's nice sometimes to be home. But I also see the 
professional and helpful aspect of it. So I definitely take it into account and therefore I'm happy to do it. Is that the worst part about the simulator though? The fact that you have to travel to get one? Would it be easier just to have it at home? <laughs> it would be definitely easier if it was like a two minute walk or something. But um, no, I think that overall, again, it's just a tool which will help me progress and will help me you know, perform and, and therefore I'll, I'll take it with uh, open arms, I'd say. I mean, the cloud makes it so much more efficient to work remotely and have access to things. Could it be that eventually, and you might have to humor me here, but eventually we reach a level where a driver could be running in a simulator at home with engineers in different locations rather than all on one site? It might be a long way away, but is that realistic? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting thought, although I'm not sure Mick would be happy about that. But technically, yeah, I would say absolutely. I mean, think of things like military drones, which can be operated by pilots from really remote locations. So yeah, it's definitely something that is possible. I think during this pandemic, we've learned what's possible in terms of remote working. There was a great story recently about how BT Sport moved their whole German Bundesliga reporting to home offices during the first lockdown in 2020. Technical director, the commentators, sound engineers, everyone... They all created the shows from their own living rooms, basically. And in the stadium, you only needed the cameras and maybe like a field reporter. And that's all just via a 4G network. So yeah, you could easily adapt to virtual races working with a simulator. I'm not sure that it's not already being done somewhere. But yeah, it's definitely not as exciting for the fans, is it? I was just thinking it would save Mick a bit of travel when he needs to go to the simulator. And I think it sounded <laughs> like he'd prefer that. But uh, I think you're right. That there's something quite romantic as well about going to an F1 factory and, and actually doing it there. But there's also constant feedback to improve the simulator at the moment. Is that the same with Arnus customers and the cloud offering? Do you always tweak products based on what your users are saying to you? Absolutely. First of all, technology is ever evolving. So we have a team of experts like always developing new products to stay ahead of the latest technologies and trends and or working to improve our existing ones. And Ionis Cloud is never an off-the-shelf solution. We start with a pretty versatile infrastructure platform and then we work really closely with our customers to develop the best way to run their individual instances. So, you know, we know every customer has different requirements and different business end goals. If we get to a point where we, we can't meet a customer's requirements, then it gets kind of interesting because that's where we start to investigate ways to tweak or improve our systems to achieve that desired end goal. Take us, for example. We didn't have experience working with customers in the racing industry before. So we spent a lot of time with the team to understand their requirements and use cases to develop cloud solutions for their own specific needs. And the bonus is that as we work closely with customers on bespoke projects, very often completely new features and functionalities and product sets are born that we can roll out to our other customers. So in the end, everyone wins. Mick, you mentioned that you as a driver notice the differences. You can feel them between real car and, and simulator. How important is it that it's as close to realistic as possible? Or can you actually still get what you need, even if it's not, as long as you know what the limitations are? Well, I think right now is, you know, you get to know which are the differences. So you will account for them when you go back to the real track. But obviously the best would be if it was 100% the same and you would get the same feeling and it would feel realistic so that to the point where you would also get adrenaline and, and, and all those things that can really simulate everything. And, and does that mean it's physical, though, if it's still, you're talking about one and a half, two 2G earlier. So do you still get out of the simulator at the end of the day and, and you're tired? I think it's more mentally that you're tired just because you have to try and focus so much. And, and obviously you're looking at a screen basically the whole time. And once when you're outside, you have a bit of wind, different sensations. And yeah, you'll always be, let's say, looking around 
Well, it's in a simulator, you basically just look forward the whole time. Yeah. And what are maybe then the biggest limitations of the simulator? What can't the best simulator do? What can't it recreate? Well, I haven't driven the best simulator. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's still something on uh, on my list to try and compare. But obviously for me, it's about getting every that's an inch out of what I need on track and get everything ready for there. And again, if that's not the best simulator, but I still get something out of it, then that's going to help me on the racetrack. So... Yeah, we'll see how the real deal is then in a simulator world. But uh, I think for now, what I'm doing is pretty good. One of the things you mentioned earlier was about being consistent and doing what you would do on track. How hard is that to do if you don't have, I guess, the danger factor or the damage factor? Like, Do you find yourself maybe taking more risks, pushing harder in the simulator than you actually would in the real car? Yeah, definitely. You do push a bit harder and maybe sometimes under push just because you don't have, you know, the only sensation that you really get is visual. I mean, the little amount of G's that you get from turning around it's sometimes not right is maybe not the, the right spot that it should come in so yeah you try and just basically blend everything out and just look and listen to then take the right details out of there you know if you have a driver like myself who drives a lot with body sensations then the simulator usually will become quite difficult so I've actually been always a driver who's been quite slow in a simulator you know it's obviously for some reason i don't know why but it's always been the case but then suddenly when i got to the real track i was right there or, or quite a bit in front so yeah I, I didn't really take too much out of it in terms of speed but i definitely take a lot of it in terms of preparation do you start looking at your lap time in the simulator and go right i'm going to be a second quicker in the real car sort of thing yeah but unfortunately the the lap time sometimes is fully off so you cannot like sometimes i'm a second faster or second slower in the simulator than I'm on the real track. And that's just because sometimes the grip level is not the right one. Sometimes the winds are not the right one. So it, it just depends on, on what you will find on the day at the racetrack because things can change very quickly. And when we talk about using the simulator, how much of it might replicate actual race conditions? Do you ever have other cars, that, you know, are there digital versions of you that are lining up alongside you on the grid? Can add that if you want. And the one that I'm driving currently, we don't do that just because it's really trying to prepare qualifying because then, you know, the time you get to racing or the race itself, you've driven so much on that racetrack that you don't need to do that, you know. And then obviously we've all been racing for quite a while and, and have, I think, knowledge in how to overtake. Well, then when you get finished with any of the prep you do do in a sim, does the team give you homework? Do you get sent to look through data to kind of learn from it? Or are you lucky enough to be able to just sort of walk out after a sim day and, and that bit's done? ticked off well usually what we do is check the data that we have from the sim we can also put that on top of the real racetrack so if let's say we do a correlation we would come from let's say i'm just taking qatar we would drive qatar in a sim and then compare it to the real track and see how the simulator performs and then try and change it for next year and so that's kind of the homework that we do but Luckily, I don't have to bring anything home. <laughs> that would feel too much like school again. Yeah. I mean, this is a lot of work that you do do behind the scenes already, so you don't need any more. And like you say, traveling all the time, you kind of want some time off. But when you are in there and there's maybe some of the more technical aspects to work through, we spoke to Gary Gannon earlier in this series about the steering wheel, and he talked us through everything that's on a Formula One steering wheel. And there's a lot of stuff for you guys to have to learn. So do you use the simulator time to do things like that as well? Are you working with your engineer on learning those sorts of aspects of the car? So currently this year, I've been driving the Ferrari steering wheel. So it's a bit different to ours. So I'm trying not to get too connected to it. Uh, obviously, I want to stay as sharp as possible on the one that we have. So therefore, I actually have a steering wheel at home 
and I can, whenever I feel like it, uh, take the steering wheel into my hand and feel and, and see where the buttons are. So that basically whenever I'm in the car, I can do it blind or like not even, by not even looking to it and know exactly where every rotary is and where I have to turn it to to basically reach the destination it, it needs to reach. How strange is it then to use a, a different steering wheel in the simulator? Because I guess you're still, I mean, you're still driving a Formula One car, a virtual one, and you've got a different thing in your hands. Is it noticeably strange for you? Well, it still stays the same steering wheel in a way. It's just that the buttons are located a bit differently. And yeah, so that basically you just need to yeah, analyze it a bit and then you know where most of the buttons are. And most of the time we don't do many buttons changes in the simulator because anyways, you can just do it by the you know, keyboard and they'll do it for you. And a lot of this is talked about how much work goes into it, how serious this is as a, as a tool. Do you ever get to use it for a bit of fun? Do you ever get to choose what you want to do and just go out there and, and do something that you enjoy? So I actually have the one at home. I have a smaller one, which I race on. I got it for the pandemic, actually, because obviously we were spending quite a lot of time at home. So yeah, I got to, let's say, play a few games on there and got to do some drifting, which was fun. And uh, just, yeah, enjoy driving a car for fun, really, and without having any consequences of maybe crashing. Did the team never then, you don't try drifting the Formula One car in the simulator? <laughs> no, I don't try that. Actually, it's a bit difficult to drift a Formula One car. Because we have so much downforce and you never know what is going to happen, actually. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. Do you ever practice donuts? I actually did my first pair of donuts in a Formula One car in the event in uh, in Saudi. Oh, wow. Your first ones. Yeah. Did you practice those beforehand or is no. it just when you get in, you find it and make it happen? Yeah, it's not that difficult, to be honest. It's, uh, it's a lot of power and just a rear-wheel drive. So you just turn the steering wheel and, and go flat out and then it will turn around. Just... One last thing on where we're currently at before we'll, we'll look to the future, actually, because Formula One's changing a lot uh, into 2022 and, and the simulator could be crucial to that. But do you ever try and put yourself in a difficult position in a simulator or even on a racing game? Do you try and put yourself in a state or a scenario that you think would kind of help you to kind of prepare for challenges in the future? Be that, I guess, if it's you doing it yourself at home, starting from the back of a grid and trying to fight your way through a field or starting with a damaged car so you've got a, almost a handicap do you do something like that not intentionally <laughs> <laughs> obviously it happens at times especially when i'm in the simulator at home but usually at you know when we are in uh, in the simulator in the proper one we just want to get done with the work and and do everything that we need to to prepare the race weekend really and does damage occur in the real sim if you went over a curb too hard something would the car get damaged or i mean you could crash the simulator itself to the point where the system shuts down or uh, it just falls through the track if you find the right spot. So uh, yeah, those things do happen and it's just programming really. So you restart it and, and go again. But I'm guessing you don't look for the bit where you fall through the track. Because if it was me, I'm childish. So I'd be like, right, I need to try that. I need to find the hole in this. <laughs> no, so uh, actually, uh, depending on which simulator you go to, you can drive through the walls. And so you will be like on the other side of the map that you shouldn't be on. Um, but yeah, I usually try to avoid that as much as I can. Yeah, I guess everyone's trying to do a job, so they're probably <laughs> not encouraging it, but yeah, I'm definitely too childish. <laughs> now, yeah, I mentioned 2022 is going to be very, very different in Formula One. We're going to have brand new rules, brand new cars. They sound like they're going to be a different beast to handle. Will it be a, a crucial tool for you ahead of 2022 because the regulations are different? Or is it important maybe not to convince yourself it will be one way based on a simulator before you drive the real thing? I think both ways could be good. Obviously, we haven't thought about it much just yet. Because obviously we don't have a simulator per se, but we have to try and use the one from Ferrari. So we'll find out what we can do with it. And a lot of this, well, all of this has been talking about simulators, but let's finish with the real car because I bet 
there's a, a big difference in terms of your enjoyment too. Just how fun is it driving a, a Formula One car for real? That's nah, amazing. Obviously, you know, you have so much downforce available. On the other hand, you can lose it as well very quickly. So at the race start, for example, we'll have no downforce at times and it's uh, it's very different to drive and it's pure enjoyment I have to say I mean especially going with high downforce around some tracks like going to, to Brazil for example I really really enjoyed it and do you ever though wish you have a reset button like do you get to the end of a qualifying lap and be like oh if I could just do that corner again if I could have one more go at times but then again you know it's all part of learning and I think that if I wouldn't do those mistakes Maybe I would do them when, you know, I'd be fighting for the championship. Then obviously it would hurt much more than doing them right now where maybe there's not as much at stake than just maybe, you know, being somewhere out of the points. And just finally, it's been your rookie season. It's just finished and it's been very impressive from the outside. How have you enjoyed it from the inside? I loved it. I mean, uh, it's just a total different feel to it compared to, you know, Formula 2, Formula 3. It's just really fun. And, you know, you get to work with so many great people. You get to work with a lot of great minds and just learn so much new, but also you learn so much more about yourself on how to handle things, on how to preserve energy and when to use energy. And I think that that's something that I've been trying to figure out a lot this year and, and something that for sure is going to be a lot easier next year. But yeah, I enjoy going to work in the morning and, and I love leaving late. I'm having a lot of fun here. And, and what are your hopes for 2022 and, and getting new car, new regulations and a year's experience under your belt? I think that, you know, if we're close to the points consistently, that'd be great. If we're consistently in the points, that'd be awesome. And obviously, if we get the chance to be in there around the top five, that would be mega. And if we got the podium, that'd be out of this world. So, yeah, I think there's lots of things that we're looking forward to and lots of targets that we're trying to reach. I'm trying to work out which expression you're going to use for if you win or if you win the championship because <laughs> <laughs> they were getting bigger each time. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to put it too high just yet, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what we get. Again, our hopes are high. If at the end we found that extra little bit that maybe some other teams haven't, yeah, there's no reason for us to maybe not think about even winning. But right now, I think we should start a bit lower and, and just take it off the first race and, and see where we are. Well, we're all really excited to see how 2022 goes for both you and the team. So Mick, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. See you at our next pit stop in two weeks. Drive Digital Success, brought to you by Ionos, first class cloud and IT infrastructure. Production by Digital Compact. Presenters are Mandy Carter and Chris Medland. Music and sound design by raffamusic.com. If you've liked this podcast, recommend it to your friends and give us five stars at your favorite podcast provider.